Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, But perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2 with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps, most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999, asleep on the front seat of our truck on the beach here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybar. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us today is TV writer and friend of the pod, Adam Karp. Thank you for coming Hello. on our podcast to talk about Minus the Minus Man. Yeah, don't forget the uh, yeah, no, I just I'm gonna stick to minus man. It's much cleaner. So I minus man is a uh-huh. film from 1999. You may not have heard of, starring 
Owen Wilson, large, you know, movie, such a big movie star that we're yep. even going to do our top five Owen Wilson films. We are. Uh, it's direct, written and directed by uh, the man who wrote Blade Runner. And uh, he used all of his capital 17 years later to make The Minus Man. <laughs> Got a cast of Nothing but all stars, all stars, excellent cast, (laughs) top rate cast, uh, and made a movie that exists, and I mean that in the in 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 the the most literal way, the most literal way. That's it. It 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 it, it is one hour and forty five minutes of sound and audio filling up your eyes and ears. Well, video and and audio, but sound and audio is the same. Well, you know, not if you were sleeping for part of it. Um, but which I was yeah. <laughs> from hour yeah. from, from from fifty eight minutes to uh, hour twelve. I was asleep and had to go back. <laughs> but I missed the part in the house of the woman with the like lightning blue eyes um, and her art. paintings and her paintings. Is that your yes, painting? her paintings? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's the minus man. So everyone's it's favorite the minus movie. man. Yeah, uh, Adam, why did you why did you knock on our doors? Why did you why did you yeah. barrel down? Why did you barrel down the uh, the gates? Yeah, I kicked in that door. Why did you kick in that door? Why did you kick in that door? Why did you stick your head in and go? It's minus man time. <laughs> We're like, huh? <laughs> three years ago, when did you start this podcast, Bill? Three years ago. Three years ago, three years ago and what? You, there was like. The entire 1999 slate was virgin territory, and I was like, "I'll do minus man." I mean, <laughs> it sounds like he's—it sounds like he's joking, but truly, I remember talking with Adam shortly yeah. after we started this podcast, and he was talking about how he was listening to it and he was enjoying it. And I was very thankful for him taking the time to listen to our podcast, and he was like, "You know, I kind of have a history with the minus man. If you ever need anybody to come on for it," and I was like, "The minus man's a movie." <laughs> like I was yeah. like, "Okay." Yeah, and then I did and a little bit. Past three years, I've been I've been knocking on your door periodically, being like, "You didn't assign it to someone else, did you?" <laughs> there was, yeah. I mean, there was never anyone else that raised their hand for this movie. Just to be very clear, <laughs> but it, it it was sort of a movie that once you brought it up, I have to be honest with you, Adam. I mean, as I've said before, I worked in a, in, a vid, in many video stores, and and when he said the minus man, I was like, "Wait a second. Like, I kind of have an inkling." Of 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 remembering that this might have been a movie, like I could it's kind of see the very, box art. It is a very ninety nine yes. indie movie. Like, 100%. like as far as like indie movies are concerned, this feels like one. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, Kenny and I texted a little bit about this, but like. And and obviously we started the podcast this way as well. But like this is a stacked bench of like pretty much heavy hitters. I mean, Mercedes Rule has an Academy Award. Like, Brian Cox has obviously been in a million things. Janine Garofalo, will obviously talk about how much we love Janine Garofalo. But ah. it, it's just like, so I guess the question that I have, and I know that, Adam, you were somewhat involved in I, the making of this film in some... I don't want to go that far. Um, what I will say is... You were it, around it, the people that were. Yeah, and, and I did intern in post-production sound on it. Um, <laughs> okay. But it was more of me walking in the door and being like, hey, I'm interested in this, and they let me sit there. Sure, sure. Um, I was, <laughs> I, you know, in 1999, I, I grew up in Paramus, New Jersey, about nine miles out of New York City. Uh, I was splitting my time between the sneaking in the back door of Cineplex Odeon on Route 4 
And uh, that summer, I was living in New York on my own at basically 16 years old, uh, interning at the shooting gallery. Um, And it was my first, first, first job in Hollywood. They produced this movie, and they, I believe this came out that September or October. Yeah, it was uh, September, September 10th, yeah. Yeah, so I first saw this movie with a VHS that I stole from work and brought (laughs) home that night. It was literally uh, worth it, right? I mean, you must have just been like, yes, yeah. Um, but it was, it was a. It's funny because it holds a real place in my heart because of the fact that it's one of, if not the very first thing I worked on in any way. Um, I have no creative ownership of any kind of. Oh, it. of course, yeah, yeah. Um, but you but know, I, I, was, I think we all have that, though, right? I mean, I think that we all have that first sort of. Um, you know, you're yes. you're sort of in the door. Yes. You know what I mean? And you're kind of like, yes. and 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 I understand why this movie might hold, you know, uh, a little bit of a soft spot in your heart. I would assume, Adam, if if nothing else, to be oh, yeah. a part of you. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, I haven't watched it since <laughs> then until two days ago. Sure. Um, and you know, at the t- you know, we're gonna get into our where do we rank this thing? But that'll be fun. Um, but like, <laughs> But you know, it, it. I feel like, I feel like in many ways, I was very young in 1999. Even though I had already started working in entertainment, I think I was emotionally young, and I think I was intellectually young. Right. Um, I'm sure I still am. Um, but like, I feel like I didn't understand this movie at all at that time. I'm not 100 percent sure I understand it now, but I thought I understood it then. <laughs> This movie uh, has. Sorry, go ahead, Kenny. Yeah, I want to get into that. Yeah, yeah. you just yeah. said. Yeah. Uh, in a second, so I'm going to table that. But I want to a, a bit of a uh, a word of warning to our audience. Oh wow! I'm going to read directly from the Wikipedia page for this. So, okay. this is about the marketing of the movie. <laughs> Are you going to talk about the trailer? Uh, yes. It is it the did. greatest trailer in history. I I I I don't think this is the like the theatrical trailer. I think this is a um this is a commercial or something. I'm not sure. But okay. it says in addition to the tagline, quote unquote, don't see it alone unless you like talking to yourself. One trailer for the film showed a couple discussing the film as they left the theater. Uh-huh. Their conversation takes them from place to place all over the city until the man marvels how beautiful the sunrise is. The woman realizes she is late to work and rushes to her job as a lifeguard where two people are floating dead in the pool. The ad ends with the tagline, careful, you can talk about it for hours. My point being, guys, this this is going to go on for a long time. (laughs) Because if there's anybody who knows how to talk about movies for hours, it's the boys from podcast night like it's 1999. That being said, we have no fucking idea to talk about what to talk about with this movie. That, that, this was a movie that was marketed as what a conversation starter. You'll be talking about this all night until you go to your lifeguard job and people died because of your negligence because you were so caught up in the minus, man. I don't know what it's about. So what I th- what I wonder what the way I'm tying this into what you said, Adam, is basically like, do you think this movie is purposely opaque to the point where there actually isn't anything there that is decipherable. All it is is these little moments that are like, huh, did that mean something? Did that mean something? What was going on here? What was going on there? Uh, without any backbone. 
that's my that's my takeaway. But hey, look, I might be totally wrong. There might be something brilliant well, in here. It got it got kind of good reviews. It's uh, I does feel like it has the air of saying something, right? Yeah. Like you're watching it and you're sort of like. I, I, so this is a question I'm going to posit to you as well, Adam. So you can sort of take both of these sure. questions and, and run with it. But the, I watched scenes of this film and thought to myself, is there tension here or is this incompetence? <laughs> no, I mean, I feel like, you know, you could lift 35 minutes out of this movie just by cutting dead air. Um, and you have actually a pretty tight, maybe interesting movie. Yeah. Um, but it, no, but I think you're, I, I'm not sure I know the answer to any of these questions. <laughs> my, my feeling is that like, it is, it's compelling to talk about if you want to go down the road of like, what is he thinking and why is he motivated? Yeah. Right. Like it yeah. doesn't seem like he has much motivation and we haven't really given a summary of what this movie is yet. But, I would, yeah. But, I, I uh, was going to say, maybe... Yeah, let me give a synopsis. Movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. A synopsis. Yeah, and maybe we should do that? a little... Sorry, go on. Yeah. We, maybe we should do a little... A little uh, well, I mean, that's Dexter's fault, right? Yeah. But maybe we should do a little, uh, a little walking through this movie. A yeah. little more beat by beat than we normally do. Not because I, I it's, yeah. you know it requires such close reading, but maybe we will figure something out uh, yeah. if we go through chronologically. So I'll give I'll give a little bit of context here. Uh, synopsis: Aimless Van Surgit. Okay, like can we just? I also just need to say none of the names are names of people in this movie. Is it? I, I, is, is it Serge? It might be Serge. All I know is, it, is that yeah. that that the the writer director of this Van film's Serge. name. Is Hampton Fancher, which sounds like a name from a Hampton Fancher movie. That's not like that's not actually a name either. But anyway, so so Van Serge, possibly, uh, played by Owen Wilson, takes a bizarre turn in life and becomes a serial killer, tracking down the miserable and self-destructive and those who otherwise seem willing to die. His first victim is wretched. Jesus, I didn't write this. Wretched junkie Casper, played by Cheryl Crow. After disposing of her body, Van rents a room from turbulent couple Jane and Doug, played by Mercedes Rule and Brian Cox. From there, Van plots his murders, gets work at the postal office, and falls deeper and deeper into a psychotic haze. The Minus Man opened on September 10th, 1999, against Stigmata, The Sixth Sense, and A Stir of Echoes. I mean, three movies that this movie should not be going up against. Interesting. Yeah. All all they should go up against each other. Either. Exactly. They're all splitting up that audience. Stop yeah, it, guys. So here's the thing. This no movie's not in the same theaters that those movies are in. This is true because it opens with $40,000 and goes on to make $370,000. So, like, this movie didn't really this land on a lot of screens. This movie is in the in New York, right? It's not right. It's not in your your, yes. your local movie theater. It's only in indie houses. <laughs> and that's one of the interesting things is it has a premise that feels like nowadays would be like an elevated indie premise in some way or or maybe a mainstream indie premise um but it was a truly truly like indie film i mean i remember watching this in the angelica in new york city which if for anybody who's never been to the angelica i don't even know if it exists anymore Uh, you can't go anymore it is closed it is closed uh but like this was a independent movie theater in which all the movie screens were subterranean (laughs) in new york city yeah um it's right next to the subway stop it's like right next to the subway stop. Yeah. Uh, and you can hear the subway every eight minutes while watching the movie. That's pretty great. That's kind of great. 
Um, I mean, so it's not I that saw, great. <laughs> but I saw it's, the Blair Witch Project down there, yeah. and every eight minutes a subway rolls through. <laughs> did, so, did you, so before we go into the movie, did you guys did you guys happen to read Hampton Fancher's Wikipedia by any chance? No. All right. No. So there's there. Let me uh, let's play a little bit of a game. Do you want me to? Just do this critics thing first, or do you yes, want to get yes, into the yes, 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 yes. No, I'll do, so, I'll, do Ham, I'll do Hampton Fancher after. So the Midas Man is 58% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 46% from audiences. Feels about right. Roger Ebert in his three-star review called it a psychological thriller of uncommon power, maybe because it's so quiet and devious. LA Times said it's, uh, it is above all such an unsettling experience you find yourself still talking about well after the lights have gone up. And Andrew Saras of the New York Observer said it's a surging undercurrent of black comedy drives out to sea without ever breaking to the surface with glib psychological or sociological explanations we cannot laugh out loud, nor can we feel any grief. Sarah singles out Garofalo's performance as incandescent, one of the most enticing, endearing female movie characters in recent years. Witty, bubbly, but at the same time lonely and terrified of rejection. Yeah, I liked her too, but come on, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Let's do some Hampton Fancher. Let's play the Hampton Fancher game. <laughs> where everyone's, do you, everyone's favorite game. Where do you think Hampton Fancher was born? Oh, boy. Maine. What's that? <laughs> Did not you guys say not the answers? All right, Maine was your guess, and what, what, what would you say, Adam? I want to go. I'm going to go with like Iowa. He was born in East Los Angeles. Oh boy! Never would have seen that coming. Yeah, I, I would have guessed. I would have guessed the UK um, with a name like Hampton Fancher. Uh, Hampton Fancher ran away from home at the age of 15. To where did he go? Yeah, where did he go? West Spain. Los Spain, sure. To become a flamenco dancer. Stop it! Stop he, rena- it. he renamed himself Mario Montejo <laughs> and went by Mario Montejo for, for years. Now he is now he is Mexican. So okay. it's okay. not it's not quite it's not it's not quite the egregious cultural uh thievery appropriation that it sounds yeah. like Hampton Fancher is not a particularly uh Mexican or Spanish sounding name. His father his father uh, appears to be a Fancher, like the you know a Fancher <laughs> of the Fanchers and, and his mother is Mexican Danish. Um now the thing about Hampton Full Fancher is that like that, that really does surprise me? Is it does seem like Hampton Fancher is the main reason that uh, do Android dream of uh, electric, electric sheep? sheep became Blade Runner? Now that that's a very old novel or short story uh, from the sixties, and yep. it wasn't made into a movie for until the eighties. It wasn't on anyone's radar either. Nope. So he is the one who 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 sought those rights for years and years and years. He wasn't able to get them, and finally he was. He wrote, according to this, he wrote uh, he wrote the first draft, and Ridley Scott didn't like it. He tried to rewrite the draft and was so slow that the crew called him uh, Happen Faster, which is not that clever. <laughs> um, and then it became it's Blade Runner. Somehow he, which I don't even really understand, they let him... <laughs> They let him go right the, the new one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, yeah. he did it with Michael Green, who, you know, is, is an A-plus writer. So I assume Michael Green had a pretty big hand in this. But uh, 
but yeah, he he's it's an interesting kind of story. He he really kind of feels like this guy who did this one kind of amazing thing for humanity. Yep. And kind of Hampton Fancher's way into obscurity after that. Yeah. I, I want him to make a movie about being a flamenco dancer, quite frankly. I mean, it's yeah. like what what a story. Mario Monta 15. 15. So that's um, one of those like almost famous stories that you're almost like, nah, it couldn't have happened like that. Yeah. I, I guess the question. I mean, and literally, I mean, I guess Hampton's really the only one who can answer this for us. But that's a really long time to capitalize on your uh, to to cash your blank check. Your yeah. real blank check. Yeah. Like, what are you what are you doing for for seventeen years? I mean, I can only assume that he was doing rewrites and probably getting paid to you know what have you right here and there. I mean, I'm assuming. He also, he also has an acting resume that appears to be like as long as your arm. So of just sort of okay. guest spots on anything you've ever heard of so like okay. and a lot of things you haven't heard of um but he, yeah but all but but all before he wrote uh all before he wrote blade runner yeah but yeah, he does like, he, he looks like he looks like a work a day actor from 1958 until yeah. 1978 and then wrote you know the seminal science fiction movie of our lifetime of our lifetime so yeah it's, ah. it's incredible so i guess so Here's another question, and this is obviously to both of you, but I'm just sort of, I'm trying in my head, as I was watching The Minus Man, I was trying to figure out how you get from Blade Runner to this. Like, what sort of connective, like, what would make a person who so brilliantly adapts, you know, one of the greatest science fiction novels of all time, and then, like, take away the direction, take away the performances, like, just on a script level. I just found myself wanting, right? Like, it just doesn't really have much to say. I think there's an emptiness intended in the character yeah. that in some sense does rhyme with Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. But when you cast Owen Wilson, who is so <laughs> likable, yep. who has this like both all American quality and um, oddity to him, mm-hmm. it actually seems as if the character isn't empty. And yep. yet the behavior of what he's doing does feel like maybe this maybe this was a miscast role. Well, okay, so here's a here's a question for you guys as well. Because the other night I watched uh, Big Night for the first time in a long time, and my roommate Melissa had never seen it before. Um, I loved it. Again, I, I just think it's a, a wonderful film. She had a hard time watching Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub in the movie because of the quite frankly, decades of other work that she's seen them in. And it kind of, it was it, it was a little jarring for her, I think, to some degree or another. The reason I bring it up is watching this, it was impossible for me to separate the Owen Wilson that I know and quite frankly love in this role. Now, there's a reason why I don't think Owen Wilson went on to make more movies about playing serial killers because I'm not necessarily sure it's in his wheelhouse. But it's also... I mean, is it a disservice that we know Owen Wilson as Owen Wilson? I don't know. I mean, I guess perhaps if he was better in the role, it wouldn't have bumped me. I don't know. (laughs) You know who I would have cast? I'm not even kidding. I know this is going to sound crazy. I would have cast Chris Klein. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Because I feel like there was, Adam, you hit on this, but I feel like there was an airheadedness to this character that uh, Owen Wilson did his darndest to make come across but i don't think he did it 
Yeah. Um, I also think that they were kind of missing uh, a modus operandi here. Like, yeah. I don't think I could tell you why he did it. Like, I don't think I, I, I even, I don't, I don't even think like, like I had read a synopsis that kind of tried to tell me why he did it. It was essentially like he picks on people or he picks people out who like, you know, should be dying anyway. But I don't think yep. that's true. I don't think that's true. Certainly either. not with the Eric Mabius character. So yeah. I just don't really know exactly what was going on here. And I would also say like, uh, look, this isn't something I'm proud to say, but this is like a completely bloodless serial killer movie uh, mm-hmm. lacks any kind of emotion, any kind of intensity. All these things may as well have happened off screen, which they basically did. Um, I don't, I just don't feel like it makes a whole lot of sense to center a movie around a guy who poisons people um, very passively and is never really in any danger of getting caught. <laughs> only yeah, yeah, like there's characters in his head. He's only yeah, yeah. fictional characters in his head. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's one of those things where when the film opened and he walks into that bar, right, and immediately Which, by asks, the way, is my is is one of my favorite restaurants in LA that bar, just so you know. Uh, okay. That is what old, is that bar? That is the old place restaurant out in Agora Hills, Cornell, California, just down the 101. Uh, and it was a fantastic place, highly recommend it. I'm shouting out to old place restaurant in Cornell. Awesome. Oh. I, it, he walks into, into he walks into this bar that's completely empty, except for it seems empty, except for Cheryl Crow sitting at the bar. And the first thing he asks for is pie. <laughs> he says, "Do you guys have any pie?" And I immediately was just like, "What is this movie? Like, is it a is it a comedy? Like, is it about a guy who walks into bars that clearly don't have pie? Like, why well, would they, this place have pie? The next, they spend the next minute and a half talking about is there such a thing as pickle pie? So maybe <laughs> it is. Like, it's just it's it's. I honestly think that it opens in a way that I didn't hate, which is that it felt kind of odd and kind of like weirdly prickly. And there's this tension that exists between the bartender and, and Cheryl Crow. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the bartender is also John Carroll Lynch. who's like always everyone's favorite character yeah. actor. Yeah. Like it's like, and, and, and for me, like seeing Cheryl Crow in a fucking movie yeah. was great. Yeah, she was great. So I, like it, it's, it's such a bizarre fucking film. <laughs> Like that was the thing that was sort of that really hit me off the top was and this was why I sort of posited the question to you guys earlier about intent, right? I mean, Kenny and I have talked about this a lot over the course of this podcast. And it and and I just couldn't help but watch it thinking, is this intentional? Like I just don't know. Like, has he just fallen into this odd structury kind of formlessness and existential kind of component to the movie as well has he is or is this just sort of like like i don't know i guess i'll just sort of point the camera at these people and, and hope that it works out i really don't know but i feel like this conversation what we're having may in fact be the the, the you'll be up talking about this all night conversation that they advertise <laughs> like because it's funny when you read the summary and the summary starts by saying like a uh, oh, oh, quirky guy or something decides mm-hmm. to leave behind his <laughs> life and go kill people. A quirky murderer. Right. But like <laughs> none of that's in the movie. 
Right? Like no, he's it's not. The guy who left behind his life. We yeah. meet him on the road killing people. Yep. yep. Right? So, well, like, he claims he left there. behind his, yeah, he claims he left behind his life, but you know, you know, I don't know if you're supposed to believe that. I don't know what you're supposed to believe. I also I think that, Kenny, your point too, in terms of so much off screen action. I mean, as we all know, we've all worked in, we've all worked in television. Budgetarily speaking, every now and then you have no choice but to be like, yeah, remember when that thing happened that we couldn't afford to actually shoot? But yes. this movie is all character stuff and plot stuff that's happening on the periphery, which again feels so intentional to me that I'm just like, maybe he wanted to exist in this weird kind of nebulous gray zone for two hours. Like that was his goal. So I, I think he did. Like, I, I, I do think that there was uh, an intention mm-hmm. to make an off-kilter, um, almost surrealist character study of a person <laughs> who clearly has some... Let's say, let's say demons, right? Yeah. Something brewing underneath the surface. Yeah. What 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 irked me so much, and this is like this is subjective, but there was absolutely no style to this movie. Oh no. Right? So you have all these structural flights and all these flights from you know traditional filmmaking, which in general, you know, I'm all for. But it reminds me, you know, it's a horrible thing to say because I love the director, um, Tony Scott, but that uh that movie, The Jacket. You ever see that movie? Yes, yes, yes. That it felt like that, where there are all these like decisions that were made for the sake of doing something different, but not to actually illuminate character, not to actually drive narrative, not to actually uh, you know even be allegorical or, or 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 anything. It just felt like this is another way to do things. He could imagine a couple of cops who would. Maybe get him one day. It's just another thing you could do, which it is. It is another thing you could do, but it doesn't tell me <laughs> shit. I, I mean, I uh, yeah, and it was sh- and it was shot awfully. It looked well, terrible. Okay, so this was a question I texted Adam, and I was yeah. like, "Was this movie shot in Super sixteen, or is Amazon's transfer just garbage?" Like, I really couldn't. The answer tell. was, I think the answer is both. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's Adam said both, but, which seems right to me. I mean, it's all very soft, un- unintentionally so, and grainy. It seems, perhaps, or they just didn't have the money. To you're talking. You're, you're yeah. talking about the film stuff, but I'm talking about uh, mostly the production design. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's because it's I hate. It was, it's the yellow. It's it's like the yellowest movie I've ever seen. Yeah, but this look is not. It's not unfamiliar to me going into indie films in New York in 1999. Like, I feel That's like it true. looks like what a lot of movies that are made for very low budget at that time kind of look like. Well, uh, so I, I, it's, here's what's funny. So I watched the movie on Amazon Prime, and at the end of Amazon, at the end of the movie, you know how Amazon would be like, you should watch this next, right? And the movie they suggested I watch was Clay Pigeons. Me too. <laughs> Where I'm just like, okay, sure. I, I understand why you're putting these two together. Yeah. You I like bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the guys from Wedding Crashers. Yes. You, you must like terrible films. <laughs> Here's another one. <laughs> Perhaps we can get someone to watch this one. <laughs> I saw Clay Pigeons in the theater, by the fucking way, which, I mean, Lord knows yeah. why. But, um, yeah, this movie just feels like, and and I want to kind of, just, just to, the Vince Vaughn thing is, I think, worthy of, of discussion for a second, because Vince Vaughn obviously comes on the scene in Swingers. Everybody loves him. And then he does Lost World shortly thereafter. 
But then for whatever reason, perhaps his own or his agent, I don't know, he goes into a string of of dramas, right? Like it's the Psycho remake, it's uh, The Cell, it's a bunch of dramas. And he gets kind of lost in there and then old school happens and then we're back on we're back on the rails and we're back in comedy land. The reason I bring it up is Owen Wilson only does this before pivoting quickly into Wes Anderson movies and and finding his comedy lane and and what have you. It's not really a pivot though, right? Like that's right, where he started. Right. That's best friend. Right. He wrote right. those movies. Right. But I, I'm just I'm just speaking to the fact that it feels like Owen Wilson understands this is not my lane, but I'm gonna try. Dude, yeah. he was in he was in the haunting this year too. That's like right. don't forget that. Like Someone was trying to do something with Owen Wilson, which was stupid. <laughs> he got decapitated in the, in the haunting, though. That was pretty cool. He, he like also he- was in Armageddon and Anaconda around this time, and they were released before, but I have a sneaking suspicion shot after. Yes. Uh, like, I, I'm feeling this movie maybe was shot b- before Anaconda and Armageddon, but maybe not. I don't know. You know, Owen Wilson, and we're going to talk about, we're going to do our I top think fives so at too, the end. Adam. I agree with you, Adam, 100%. We'll talk about our Owen Wilsons at the end, but I, I, I felt like it was worth kind of highlighting the, the somewhat parallel Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson situation that, that transpired for a second there when everyone thought for whatever reason that Vince Vaughn was going to become everybody's favorite dramatic actor. Let me um, throw something out. Let me throw something out. Please, yeah. If you were an agent, and you had a guy who came up through indie comedy. Now, it's very clear that both these guys made their own way, right? Yeah. Yeah. You had a guy that came up through indie comedy, indie, well-respected indie comedies. I know Bottle Rock and Swingers weren't nominated, but they certainly were on top 10 lists and whatnot. Sure. And the, uh, their directors went on to have massive careers, blah, blah, blah. If you were their agent and you didn't know whether they could hack it uh, mm-hmm. in mainstream comedies, because that's, mm-hmm. th- that's a different bone, you might try the Ben Affleck thing. You know, the the, the thing sure. where you might see if, man, is this guy your leading man these days? Or even like the Ed Burns thing, who didn't come from a comedy, but Ed Burns sure. went from like micro indies to movies like this, you know, within a few, the ones he didn't direct were all like movies like this. We're like, these guys are good looking enough. And there's always room for a good looking white guy to carry a movie and to go forward. So I think it's an interesting thing that uh, in the late 90s, a more grounded comedic actor like uh, Vince Vaughn or Owen Wilson uh, was something that people didn't really know what to do with. Because in the 90s, remember who's who's who who's ruling the 90s? Robin Williams and Eddie Murphy and like really Big fucking personalities were were in you know you had the the ons the, the the beginning of the Will Ferrells like still these SNL giant people so I can understand why they they gave it a shot uh, sure it work it didn't I mean it's it's also like you know didn't I'm thinking, take I'm also thinking about how. I agree with you, Kenny, in terms of like the leading man thing, because like that's a that's a pretty big tent, right? Like the leading man can kind of almost do a little bit of everything, but the roles that Vince is given are all serial killers and dirtbags. <laughs> like these are not guys that like you like the guy in the cell is a detective who's like basically dangling by a thread. You know, Clay Pigeons and and Psycho are obviously like straight on murderers and then you've got the guy in that movie that was sort of the broke down palace ripoff i don't know which one came first but where they get trapped in thailand where it's like him and 
think it's like Anne Hesh and, and Joaquin Phoenix. Or, anyway, my point is that it's just like, I agree with you, Kenny, but it's also like Vince didn't really get the best shot at being a leading man either in a weird way. Like he got their big roles. I mean, being fucking, you know, uh, I can't think of the character's name from Psycho, but like, you know, it, I don't know. It's worth looking at what you're saying, Kenny, though, because what you got to realize, I think, a little bit about what the shooting gallery was when in, in 1999. The shooting gallery was considering themselves like the, an independent studio. And sure. they were the producers of Sling Blade and You Can Count On Me. And they're coming to you and yeah. saying, we got the guy who wrote Blade Runner. Yeah. And he's going to direct yeah. this movie about this really dark role about, you know, about this guy who kills people because they don't like themselves much. And is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? But he's maybe charming. And it's got this all-American quality. Come along here. You might win an Oscar for this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I think I think that it's a pretty good sell, too, by the way. I think that... Now, I think we're talking maybe a couple years too late. Yeah. Right? I think if, like, I think a savvy representative or a savvy executive might realize... And we've done a lot of movies like this. The one that pops to my head is, ha- is Happy Texas. Right. Or, um, a lot of these movies that were kind of on the tail end of this 90s indie boom that were, that were looking backwards a little bit at what had gotten some of these indie, these more quirky indie movies, these quirky indie directors and actors, uh, break their break into mainstream. Yeah. But I do, I, I, I do see what you're saying, Adam. I do think that, yeah, I think he could have looked at this and said, uh, oh, complicated villain. Maybe I'm Travis Bickle. Who knows? They didn't, and they didn't know this was the year that being John Malkovich was going to come out. They didn't know this was the year American Beauty was going to come out. You know, right. like, they didn't know that this was the year that like true indie was going to get kind of really overshadowed by kind of indie. Yep. Right. Like this is the so- year. This is the year indie got a budget. Yes. Uh, and that is how we got where we are. That's part of why this year is so wonderful for us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this film does feel like it was made in the pre-budget era. We've seen a lot of those films. And, and for the most part, in my opinion, at least, they don't really hold up. No, I mean, it's it's interesting. You know, so this film was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance as well, which speaks to sort of what you're talking about, of, of just sort of like trying to give it the, the indie bona fides in order to get it out there and, and get people talking about it in that way. And, and you know, I, I, the other thing that sort of hit me, I just rewatched uh, Gross Point Blank on the weekend, um, which I hadn't seen in, in quite some time. And, you know, spoiler, it's still a great movie. But um, that's the kind of killer I could see Owen Wilson playing, right? Like that's yes, the type of definitely that's the type of dark comedy murderer that I could get on board Owen Wilson perhaps being. Um you know, this movie unfortunately not to keep to keep harping on this, but because it's so amorphous, it's hard to even tell when the jokes are the jokes and they're not jo- like you're just sort of in this and again, like the Owen Wilson-ness of it also doesn't you just don't know what to make of it. Like his VO is so bizarre. Like, oh, at times, okay. it made me laugh. It's almost oh, yeah. the best part. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think part of the reason Hampton Panther wanted to make this movie, my guess is, is it's based on a book. Yeah. And yeah. I guess he fell in love with some of the the poetry-like prose. Whether sure. you... Whether, whether that prose is as deep as, you know, others may have felt. Uh, I can tell you, I told this to, to Phil Kenny, um, 
I quoted this movie in my high school yearbook. <laughs> the Minus Man? <laughs> yes. Adam yes. is the Minus oh Man. Uh, he's I, coming through like the Kool-Aid Man through the door. <laughs> I, 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 and this goes back to me saying, you know, I might have been young, a young 17 or an intellectually young 17. Um, but I, there are some lines in this movie where that are like, you can imagine like a 17 year old living alone in New York City for the summer and like feeling like feeling big about themselves. Like, here's these lines. And it's like, I want to write lines like that. You what know? was the quote? How about this? I'm going to read you. He's going to read, read a couple. I'm going to read you with the lines and you guess which one was my quote. I'll, I'll play the game. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. Here we go. You don't always choose what you do. Sometimes what you do chooses you. That's where discipline comes in. Okay, I remember I remember that quote. They, they were focusing on his pants at that point. I remember. <laughs> the most important part of understanding someone is knowing if they can hurt you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's no I way never make a plan. Like a comet shooting across the sky, it just happens. Nobody knows where I'll land. I feel like a light in the dark. They come to me like moths because I shine. Lakes are like stepping into someone else's underwear. <laughs> All right. So it's it's three or five. All right. It's the comet or the underwear. <laughs> uh, it depends a lot on... I, I, see, I only just met you. Full, you know, so, so, so the audience knows I only just met Adam right now. But I can see his face. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> He's, he doesn't seem like a lake underwear man. He seems like a comet man. I'm going to go with the comet. All right, Phil, you got to, you want to go, with, what are you going with? I mean, I got to agree with Kenny. I mean, it might, when you sent me the quotes, the one that jumped out at me was the lakes. Okay. If I'm not, if I'm being honest, but, but I, I, you know, I feel like I know you well enough, Adam, that I, yeah. I tend to agree with Kenny. Oh. That that the the comet feels more akin to you, but I didn't know you in high school, so I mean, no, I, I apparently quoted in my high school yearbook. Uh, I feel like a light in the dark. They come to me like moths because I shine. <laughs> that's kind of all scary. right. That's the end of this podcast. <laughs> which is a serial killer talking about how Holy he finds smokes. his books. Yeah, Woo. and I, I think my mom saw my yearbook quote and was like. If you ever are accused of murder, they're going to dig up your yearbook and bring it into court. <laughs> yep. Yep. They might. Yeah. yeah. That affected me. That's pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also, I'll say like, like, 
Like, yeah, I'm not entirely sure I understood that that at the time that I chose that quote for my yearbook, I'm not entirely sure I consciously got that it was a serial killer talking about his victims. Well, this is the thing about this movie, which is that I, I actually I think- assume you I assume you didn't. Yeah. Bill, sorry, but uh, but also it's terrible. <laughs> but this is how much this movie was like important or like imprinted on me in that moment in my in in my life, and then I never watched it again until two days ago. But like at that moment in time when we're literally like you know October of my senior year of high school, like needing to put a quote down, and the minus man came out last month. I'm like. Yes, this is the beginning of everything. That's incredible. <laughs> I, I, if it, I mean, there it's are actually amazing. some lines in this movie that th- this movie is not necessarily like on the page poorly written. Um, I, I really love the scene uh, with Brian Cox and Owen Wilson when he's talking about Christmas climbing over the back fence um, and him getting a job at the post office and, and like just that that notion of of um, things being around the corner. Again, like Hand is not a bad writer necessarily. I just think that this film is is just so so bizarre. Yeah, go ahead. I yeah, I desperately wanted to like this movie I know. because you know it's two hours of my life. Sure. Um, and and I uh, I, I like this genre in theory, right? If you're gonna give me schlock, this is my kind of schlock in theory. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's no suspense. There were no there. There was you know no tension. There was very little narrative drive. There was, uh, and and so in the absence of that, what's what's in its place? And I can't really tell you what's in its place that hooked me. That being said, like this was far from the worst movie we did. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, far yeah, from yeah, the yeah. worst movie we've done. And and I couldn't decide whether I hated it or didn't like it. Well, I, there's yeah. a quality to this that feels a lot like um, if you were to chop this thing in half, I could see this have being an AMC pilot seven or eight years ago. Sure, sure. Right? Like, like there's a quality to it of the the way it the way it moves, the way it's pacing. That there's like there's something ahead of its time about it um, that is just different. That it feels to me like. Huh, there's almost a TV show here. I'd be more intrigued by the TV version. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It reminds me a little bit, you know, you're saying AMC, I'm just kind of, you know, half a channel over on Sundance. It reminds yeah. me a little, uh, what's well, the show? Um, you know what I'm talking about? Rectify. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of Rectify, very slow burn. Things don't have to happen every episode. And uh, and and you're 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 with the character at all times, trying to kind of figure out his place in the world. Um, movies require a beginning, middle, and end um, to some extent, right? You don't need it, but I mean, come on. If you're, if you're not going to have it, you, you better have something else that's, that's pretty pretty powerful in its place. And uh, yeah, I think it was missing everything, but I do. I, I I rectify. It really did feel like the pilot of Rectify. Well, there's something also. I mean. <laughs> The last shot of the film is such a shrug. It's such like, I don't know, one way or the other way. Like, it's literally a fork in the road, which again, like, if you ended your pilot that way, sure, you can end a pilot on an ellipse. You can't end a fucking movie that way, really. It's, it's, this movie is not committed to anything. Um, and I think it takes pride in that. (laughs) You know what I think that trooper storyline you're talking about, right? Where they go their separate ways at the end and she saw him on the beach. Yeah. Near, right near the beginning, right? Like yeah. that, even that feels like 
you know, this is a piece of a TV show, right? Like, yep. like the state trooper is on to the killer and he's moved on to another town. Yep. You, Adam, you might maybe possibly be, may be able to speak to this, but that reeks to me of a tacked on ending after uh, some, some screenings. Because, I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, because, because the state trooper storyline is not a storyline. Right. There's nothing there. There's a beat where he's on the beach and she finds him in the car. And then an hour later or an hour and 10 minutes later, she's the one with him on the highway in her car and he's in his car. And she has absolutely no reason. There's absolutely no reason for us to suspect to suspect that she's coming after him, except that she is law enforcement and he's a criminal. So it, there's the veneer of tension and the soundtrack is out of control. In that moment, <laughs> out of control, trying to make you feel something. But you cut that out. There's actually nothing there except what feels like, you know, this is a serial killer movie. Why don't you give the audience something to actually feel like this guy's in jeopardy uh, about before you end the film? That's, I, I feel pretty confident of that. I do want to talk about one other thing on the soundtrack. So yeah, you, guys, sure. you guys caught what the soundtrack was for most of the movie. Uh, I mean, I rem- there were songs. A slowed down piano version of the Notre Dame fight song. <laughs> Discuss. No. Stop hail, it. Hail, hail to old Notre Dame. Hail to the glory. Hail to the name. That's incredible. But it's Notre Dame. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's like it would be like if like it would be like if you had a movie about a rock band and you just started playing Stairway to Heaven all the time. It's just it's like, it's I mean, or a movie where there's a rock star character in it. <laughs> like it was like a James Taylor character. They're just constantly playing Casimir, but or Cashmere. So uh, that was so fucking weird to me. And the only, like the best I could do about it, the best I could do was like all right so uh, a little slice of Americana and the inversion of it but it's like again this feels like it feels like a thing without thinking of the implications of the thing and with doing something that's completely not stylized in a way that I find interesting. Yeah. It, the I also it needs to be said too that um, the music cues by and large are very strange. Uh, I found them quite jarring. I found that that there's there's a couple moments of like montaginess where there's just a really abrupt music cue that's that that's really just taking a hard turn tonally. That feels it's like Beltr- it's Marco Beltrami, the the composer. Sure, but it, it feels like there's just moments where. They're just like the movies get it's we got we got to we got to inject it it needs a kick in the ass. So like you'll have this like weird inserted montage with a kind of up music cue that I just I just don't really get. But um just to 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 walk through the plot of this a little bit. We mentioned the beginning where he meets Cheryl Crow in the bar. She's a heroin addict who does heroin in just in plain sight, just out in public, uh, in the in a truck, which doesn't feel like a thing, but sure. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. Um, like, she says to him, "Hey, do you want to get high, or uh-huh. do you get high?" Yeah, you're like thinking pot, and then she's pulling out heroin. 
<laughs> yeah, he's thinking it's going to be weed. She pulls out some heroin. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a lot. Anyway, he, he, he kills her. We never see him kill her. We don't know what he does with the body. He just speaks sort of obliquely about it. Well, he leaves her body in the bathroom of a, like, roadside stop or something. But it's not clear that he killed her. It looks like she OD'd. Yes. But he, he kind of says it over voiceover that he, uh-huh. something about, you know, letting her sleep forever. Ever, I don't know. Yeah. There was something there. but Yeah, and that yeah, once, it's, once it's gone, you can't go back. Something about that. Sure. Yes, I think that's what it was. Then you, sure. then you get he move he he uh, rents the room of the missing daughter of Brian Cox and Mercedes Rule, yes. um, a missing person case that's never resolved. If I if I'm am I incorrect in that assessment? I'm not confident it's a missing persons case. I I I'm not com. She may oh, have just oh. left and never Returned. left 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 a number. But <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, then uh, Doug Brian Cox takes Van to a high school football game. Maybe this is where your where your Notre Dame comes in, Kenny. Yeah. yeah, because that's when you get this bizarro football montage with this blaring music and dissolves, and it's all super weird and very surreal and heightened. Um, it feels a little bit like somebody said, "Can we get a better sense for what the town's like?" And <laughs> and the solution was, "Yeah, why don't we put some like high school football game in here?" Well, it felt like it felt like Friday Night Lights uh, meets Blue Velvet. <laughs> like it just it had this like David Lynchy in Friday Night Lights. There's a vibe. show to that. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe I, that's I what they wanted. The, maybe that's what they wanted the movie to be. Like, kind of honestly, the movie yeah. feels a bit like Twin Peaks. It does feel Lynchian in, but all in all the wrong ways. Like in all the kind of snoozy ways that you don't want. But whatever. Um, well, that's. I think that's my point, right? Yes, yes, yes. Like, like, like whenever Lynch departs, which is any any time he you know does anything, it's yes. always really interesting. It's always really surprising. It's always really kind of thought you know uh, thought provoking. Sure. Um, and feel and and emotion inducing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got nothing from any of these kind of departures. Mm-hmm. So I do think that you know that's the danger of trying. No one should ever try to emulate David Lynch because don't do it. You're barking. Well, you're barking up the wrong tree. The whole point is that you, he's unemulatable, <laughs> and he would tell you uh, if you want to be like me, do exactly what's in your brain. Yep. 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 So. I, I I fully agree with you. Uh, it, it's David Lynch is, um, as I'm sure we can all attest. Every you know, every film school, every class you have, any film class you have, there's always a, someone in that class that loves David Lynch and is striving for that level of weirdness. But like, the problem is David Lynch doesn't think he's being weird. No, he's just going. He's into being like David Lynch. He's just doing like transcendental meditation. Yep. coming out of it and just like <laughs> writing down whatever it is he saw sure. at that time yeah. and he's like I am going to pull that image out of my actual dream yeah. and yeah. put it on the screen. Well, it's yeah. like I remember I remember seeing a clip once of him on the Tonight Show, I believe, where he brought a video with him. Like he did an interview and then at the end Jay Leno was like, "So you have a video to show?" He's like, "Yeah, I did this thing in my garage that I thought would be kind of cool." And he built a head out of cheese and had ants just eat it. And filmed it in time well, lapse, right? What Which, I what I what I love about David Lynch, yeah. yes, is is a, he his his art is so fucking weird, 
but he is so fucking normal. He's the sweetest and, man ever. And all the crazies, all the crazy artists, I mean, are the most normal people because they get it all the fuck out. The people who aren't the people who aren't normal in real life are like the ones that really are scary. Yeah. The ones that bottle it up and don't and know how who, to, yeah. And the ones who make boring movies. Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, Doug recommends that Owen Wilson get a job at the post office. He does so around Christmas. A few days later, Van offers a ride to one of the athletes, one of the football players, kills him, buries his body at the beach. Again, kills what? Him, kills him almost accidentally. Yeah. Like, yeah. almost just like he happened to have his poison lying around. <laughs> and the guy's the guy, can I have a sip of this poison? He's, He's like, like All right. sure, sure, why not? <laughs> Uh yeah. Yeah, that's 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 like it's it's so all of the murders are a shrug in this movie, right? So you never feel the walls closing in on this character because he doesn't seem to care one way or the other. It's supposed to be that he's like killing people who don't like their life or something. But sure. It's not that's what all of the that's what all of the summaries of the movies. Right. I'm not sure that's what the movie actually does. I agree. Right, like, I was I was looking for that too, right? Because I read the summaries and I was looking for that. I was starting to write my notes based on that because uh, the Eric Mavis character, Gene, gets in his car and does start complaining about his life, yeah, right? Yeah. Which Cheryl Crow does too to some extent. So you do sure. start thinking like, well, all right. I was thinking, okay, I guess this is what it is. It would be nice if maybe they, they gave me some indication why people just start complaining to Owen Wilson because that's not a very movie thing to do to have a fucking random character come into the scene to complain to your protagonist. So I would like to see like, all right, what is it about this particular guy that he has a psychological, this, this uh, psychologist quality? I don't know if that's what's going on here. (laughs) I think that's just some some dialogue. I agree. I, I mean, I think that the, the only real sense that we have that this guy is, perhaps like fully broken inside his head is what we get now, which is this imaginary conversation with these two detectives played by Dwight Yoakam and Dennis Haysbert. Dennis Haysbert, back again, Kenny. I know, uh, back we again. We just did the 13th hour, We uh, sorry, 13th floor. We talked about him in Major League as well. Uh, Dennis Haysbert, uh, again, a thankless role in this movie. Yes. Um, very good in it. I, I, very I good. love the energy he brings. It's always a great energy. He, he ever since he's been David Palmer, he's always kind of had to play these upright characters. <laughs> but I really like him as kind of a heavy. I think there's a lot there. I agree. He's great. Um, but they're there to basically just taunt our care, our, our our taunt Van. But also, they're such clunky fucking ex- like they're just there to facilitate like this is why he's doing this, or this might be why he's doing this, or the cops might get wind of this someday. Like, I don't know. I think there's a quality here where they're what, they're really trying to let us in on in his head. They're really yeah. trying to get us into his head, right? Like, it's a, it's a movie driven with a lot of voiceover. These two characters that are pursuing him are, yeah. are in his head. They don't really exist, and they taunt him about what he's doing. I feel like the movie is trying to get in the head of somebody who is killing people who don't want to be alive. So maybe he's doing a good thing, but he's tortured by it. But none of that's coming through. I agree. But I, I agree. Feel like that's what it's trying. To do. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's trying to do a lot of things, but it's it's not succeeding really at any of them. You know, the, the next bit is you know Janine Garofalo, whose character's name is Farron. 
F E R R I N. Not a name. Again, not a name I've ever heard before. But her performance, uh, I will say, is great. She's I'm great. I'd watch that her. movie. Yes. I'm captivated by her performance in here. And I think it's one of the more actually subtle and compelling performances she's actually ever done. I agree. And, and, and not to be, uh, not to objectify it, but I don't think she's ever looked more beautiful. She was no, radiant in this film. Yes. And there's yeah. such a, um, she manages to convince you she's fallen in love with this guy just in just how she's looking at him. Yep. It's like just between the words. It's such a good performance. I, those those are the best scenes of the movie. The best scene well, of the movie for me on an emotional level is whenever you're in a movie and almost Wilson played 34. I think emotionally he was more like in his twenties. I think she was in her twenties. Yeah. Uh, whenever you have 20 people in their twenties in their movies, when they're about to uh, get sexual in any way, they jump into it every time they jump right into it um, there. That's never been my experience. It's, it's all, I mean, unless you are drunk in public and you're stupid, it's always been particularly with someone you'd like, Something that there is that moment of should I or shouldn't I? Something where you're sitting next to each other and you're like, what's happening exactly right now? She played that so well. And then putting that blanket over her head is also something I could see someone doing. Like, can't you see what I'm putting out? So I thought that was great. She's tremendous in this. She really is tremendous in this film. And and I want to see the film she's in, right? Like she's she's locked into something. Um, that is special. They have a great chemistry. I, I was racking my brain trying to think of another movie that they're in together or scenes they share together, and I'm not sure that they do. I mean, they're all they're obviously both in a lot of Ben Stiller movies, but they never really cross before. And they've got a really nice, interesting energy, and maybe someday they'll do something else together because I would love to see them work together again. Their scenes are the best scenes in the movie without a fucking doubt. Here we are. Uh, we are approaching the end of the minus man. Basically, Owen, <laughs> Van, whatever. Uh, he he basically sees another victim that he thinks about killing. This woman goes back to her house. She's a painter, but something's off about her and her work, and he decides not to kill her. Again, proving what we're talking about, which is why is this man killing people? It's really anybody's guess. Uh there's a great scene actually where Doug and Jane and Owen talk about Christmas and his eyes start to well up with tears as he feels conflicted about what he's doing. There's a moment of like, made me think like, if there was more here, Owen might've been able to rise to the challenge. But because the movie feels so nothingness, I don't know that he has anything to do. This movie feels nothingness. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, you also get a great scene where uh, Van goes to work and Farron asks him why he never called her. And she's like, because you never asked for my number. It's a very cute scene. The, yeah. the cutest scene in the movie where she just seems absolutely adorable. And I was I was totally sold on her. Um, then a bunch of shit happens. But ultimately, really, when everything is said and done, the only character relationship that I cared about was the one with Janine Garofalo. He forces himself at one point by, like, initiating this very hostile, almost... Um, I thought he might... Violent, he almost might rape, right? Killing her. I thought that, I thought we might, we might actually right. see a murder. He might have graduated to, you know, like... Yeah, like, yeah. 
violent murder, but he just kind but, of yeah. But she really, I feel like, doesn't fit into the mold of this concept. Correct. Of, like he only kills people who really dislike their life. She does not feel like somebody. There's there's a there's a right. life in her. There's yeah. like there's like life in her, which is why I think we we're talking about how great her performance is. Like there's such like life in her subtly underneath and just like still feeling feelings and so like you don't you don't if he's trying to kill her it doesn't fit in the mold of the of at least the theory going around the rest of this i i I have i have a theory oh great okay i think the three of us (laughs) easily (laughs) yes could recut this film lose about 20 to 25 minutes that are all murder based Mm -hmm. and mess with the soundtrack a little bit and the score and have a perfectly sweet indie comedy Mm -hmm. about a guy who left home Mm -hmm. gets gets you know boards with these these people who are kind of like not really loving each other totally on a different page with each other ingratiates himself with the father gets a job at the post office which by the way i thought was really cool Mm -hmm. um falls in love with a girl there and can't really like rise to the occasion and winds up like driving off uh you know into the into the moonset or wherever well, you know he drove how, off into you know how like it's, it's not that hard but mm-hmm. you know how people do those trailers where they'll take like a horror movie or like the shining and turn yeah, it into the shining a is like a how yeah. someone hasn't taken this movie well, and made no a minus stupid movie no one knows this movie exists. but with this cast <laughs> think about the trailer you could make but with we, the minus man i think we could do it i mean i think like there's the, we we've, we've watched movies like this like yeah. we like i uh Oh, God, there's and a movie. Like minus, we just call it minus minus. Yeah, well, I would call it the plus man. <laughs> Somehow, in taking 25 minutes out, it grows in size. Yes, yeah, it's, it's well, amazing. Addition by subtraction, if you will. <laughs> but uh, well, I, I, I just remind, I don't know, reminds me of so many fucking indie comedies, like yeah. light indie comedies about, like, you know, kind of broken people who kind of found each other and like i'm not saying it'd be great but it would be you, i bet you if, if we go and cut that movie i bet you owen wilson will come and do the voiceover the new voiceover <laughs> for sure here's for what sure. I, here's what i would do i now now i really am I'm pitching you the movie that i would do for real okay i cut out every moment that owen wilson that ties owen wilson to these murders mm-hmm. and i would keep the murders as a subplot happening within this movie. And I would even keep the Dennis Haber, Dennis Haysbert, Dwight Yoakam stuff. So uh-huh. now you don't know whether or not this guy is like, he, because I, I think the, the interesting thing would be like, he's from Oregon and they find out that the poison is from the Pacific Northwest. Then your question is, wait, had this guy been killing these people off Ooh. screen um, throughout the movie? But we, I am, there you go. You can talk about it for hours. So the sun comes up. You want to play it card down. I want to play a card down. That's right. That's right. I never turn the card up. I would never turn the card up. And then, then the end even plays because you don't know what anyone knows at the end. Yeah. It's uh, that. The funny thing is that the movie is already not really telling us anything. Like we never actually see him really do much. Like it's already living in this space of like, maybe like, I agree with you. Just go farther with it and just like lean into it. But like the movie doesn't have anything to. I don't feel like the movie is actually pointing 
us towards he doesn't do anything. considering your considering your your kind of marriage to this idea of bloodless killing at least bring, <laughs> at least get something out of it I agree. right at I least agree. get something out of it at least get some intrigue i am now compelled to recut this movie we I'm should do it to, I'm going to lose my family over it. But we'll call well, it. Here's, here's the other thing, though. We're talking about bloodless murder. There's another murder that happens in this film where Mercedes Rule is killed off screen again. Yeah. yeah. Are we supposed to think Doug did it? Are we supposed to, like, her husband did it? Are we supposed to, I mean, he's ultimately arrested for it by the police at the end, but are we really supposed to believe he did it? I don't know. Is there, is there any chance <laughs> that, Kenny, the movie you're proposing? Yeah. <laughs> Is in fact the movie we watch. <laughs> I was thinking that, Adam, as I was saying it. I was thinking, like, is it possible? And I would say no, but I would say, I is it possible? Enough. So, because I, I was messing with it, like the idea yeah. of like yeah. he's not actually giving them poison; he's actually giving them booze, right? Yeah. It actually is just Armoretto. Yeah. He yeah. actually didn't, you know. But but then I think you're coming down on the wrong side of it because now you're coming down on the art. So what we see, sorry, that's, that's my dog. So what you see yeah. isn't believing. And I think the opposite would work better is, are, are there- you, Sorry, I'm gonna let it. One thing we know mm-hmm. that is true is that he does in fact see two cops who are not real. Right. He could. So the idea would be he he is imagining, the idea would be he is also imagining the murders. Yes. But these people died. So so you would have to be. But we don't know if he did it. But you're now messing with, you're now in a weird chronological place. Because in the chronology of the movie, they died before their bodies were found. So we as, do you see what I'm saying? We as audience, the only way that this makes sense from a chronological standpoint is if the chronology of the movie is told from Owen Wilson's point of view in the future as he reconstructs it for you, yep. uh, the viewer, and then you're in like this swimming, I don't know if you guys remember the movie Swimming Pool, the swimming pool territory where are we just watching some novel confession thing where who knows if it's happening. I don't think that's the movie we watched, Adam, but I want to watch the movie. But you know what I do think? The movie you guys are talking about is the movie that they they marketed. (laughs) Yes. 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 Um, so let's rate this film. Uh, as you as you know, Adam, uh, we rate these films from zero to ninety nine. Uh, you saw this film in ninety nine. Kenny and I did not. Um, so, what did you think of it in ninety nine? What did you think of it before this podcast? And what do you think of it after? Uh, I'm gonna go. I, I think I would have given it like an eighty five in ninety nine. Okay. Okay. Like, like I said, this I, this was a point in my life, and you know, I. I it, it, it spoke to me in the moment, probably speaking to like my ego of my involvement, even in such the tangential corner of this thing. Yeah. Um, going into this podcast, um, <laughs> I. 38, 40, 40. Okay. 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 That feels right. Yeah. And um, now, now. Yeah, I'm thirty-eight, forty. I don't know that it's changed. I don't know that it's got worse. I think if if Kenny recuts the movie, it probably will jump up above that fifty mark. I think that's fair. That's what I want to hear. Actually, uh, I think I think this is this is the easiest uh, easiest rating? job I've. I, no, no, no. It's hard rating. <laughs> that's the easiest. That's the easiest like job I've ever given myself. I can do that in 
by the end of the week. I, I just totally have to, I just have to learn how to edit something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that can be done in a week. No, yes. Well, yeah. So I, I, as I mentioned, did not see this. Will, I, I have no doubt Will is able to do that. Will, are you, Will, producer Will, are you able to do that? Yeah. Just edit no. the movie. Edit the movie with me. We can we can get a suite somewhere and do it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we could. <laughs> this sounds like Patreon content. I don't know. This, oh my god. <laughs> Maybe we, we want to get people over there. Get yeah. the, the the Kenny Nybert cut of the Minus Man would get us <laughs> how many people on the Patreon? <laughs> that is just the that is just the kind of Don Quixote esque activity I would get myself into. I don't care if anyone watches. I don't care. What matters to me is that it exists in the world. Nobody saw the original uh, movie. Maybe they'll watch yeah, it. That's fantastic. That's great. All right. Well, uh, let me know if you want to do it. So uh, before this podcast, I, I gave this film a 55. Um, after this podcast, uh, I, think I'm, I think I'm down to like a 45. Um, I'd be hard-pressed to recommend this cut of the film kenny's cut of the film i'm sure i could definitely recommend uh to the masses um kenny what did you think on this rating before we do our top five owen wilson's uh, real quick 46 before this movie didn't think it was this bad uh 35 now 35 um sure i think it's pretty bad but it's not that bad like i want to say that janine garofalo's performance in this is yeah. still at an 85 100 percent for sure as i would agree with you like like if you can just make it through the other moments of the movie just to watch the scenes with Janine Garofalo and him, it's worth your time. That's what Kenny's movie is going to be. <laughs> yeah. It's just oh, be no, I, 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 I really want to do that. I, I, you know what? I, I, you know what I, I really need is another global pandemic. <laughs> just and to then, where, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do our top five Ode Wilsons. Uh, we'll go around uh, starting at five, working our way up. I'll start. My number five is Wedding Crashers. Um, I, uh, you know, I don't know how well it holds up. I haven't really watched it since it came out in 05. I remember seeing it in the theater. Um, I mean, Kenny and I were both at UTA when that movie came out, I think. Right, Kenny? Were you there when it came out or no? Uh, I, Maybe I, not. I think it might have predated me by like weeks. Okay. Because I was there when it came out and that weekend and Charlie and the uh, Chocolate Factory both came out on the same weekend. It was a big weekend for UTA. They were jumping up and down about UTA talent. So it was, it was, a, it was a big movie. They're both very good in it. Uh, very enjoyable at the time, obviously. Rich and McAdams, fantastic in it. But um, what's your what's your number five, Adam? I'm gonna go with Shanghai Noon. Oh, okay. It's another movie that I saw, you know, pretty young. And you know, all of my my top five Owen Wilson choices go toward a little bit a variety of Owen uh-huh. Wilson. Uh-huh. You know, there's like a great there's like a quote uh, I read about Jesse Plemons in an article once about that said like. He can play like the sweetest guy in the world or the most evil person, and it's not clear exactly what he's doing differently, but it somehow works. Mm-hmm. I feel like that also kind of can apply to Owen Wilson <laughs> sure. a little bit. Sure. Um, yeah. And High Noon to me is like, you know, you get some good comedy chops, you get some action chops, and 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 seeing him play, it, it's it's this weird thing to me where he is an all-American quality, but he's so uniquely himself. 
And and that is that's in, to me on display in Cold Wars there in Shanghai. It also feels like, and forgive me, I don't know uh, if Shanghai Noon came out before or after Wedding Crashers, but I want to say before. It was before. Um, it is very interesting to see how Hollywood try to make Owen Wilson a leading man, right? Like he yeah. kind of is a little bit of an odd vibe, but like you see him in, as you said, Shanghai Noon or in. Um, what was the Eddie Mur- I Spy? Mm-hmm. Which again, it's not a great movie, but Owen Wilson brings an energy that you got to kind of enjoy. Like he's always yeah. enjoyable, even if the movies he's in are not that great. But Kenny, what's your number five? Well, so, yeah, so I, uh, as I'm going through my my Owen Wilson filmography, trying to come up with a top five, it occurred to me, uh, I don't think I like Owen Wilson movies that much. <laughs> um, okay. I, said to, I said to Phil off here, I was like, there's something really interesting, which is Owen Wilson holds this, Huge, huge place in the zeitgeist and in my mind. And if you pull Wes Anderson and the Cars movies out of his list, he actually hasn't made that much. Well, like, he's had, he's made a lot of like weird one-off things that didn't work. Like you just named a couple of them: yeah. Drilled at Taylor. Yeah. Um, you mean Dupree? Uh, you mean you mean Dupree? Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, it's not really an attempt to be a franchise, but he made that um, the movie about the the. Storm a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes, or the tsunami, he makes no a lot. Is that what it was? A tsunami? No, yeah. I think it was No Escape. Is that what that is? No Escape was a different movie. I, he might have made him a tsunami movie. But it was like an action movie. Owen Wilson makes a lot of movies that seem to be like he was like the sixth or seventh choice on it. He's like, I got to work this year. Uh, I'll just do it. I'm Owen Wilson. I can handle it. Yeah, um, I got one of those next in number four. So, so he. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I might too, because I did. I do think I did put one of those on the list, but uh, I decided to put a movie that uh, is not really an Owen Wilson movie. Number five, just a movie I love, what Armageddon. Movie? Love Armageddon, sure, sure, and uh, love every actor in that movie. I think they all do a great job. I think that movie is a tour de force. But we will talk about it uh, uh, on our Bruckheimer screen draft coming up. Will we though? It's, it's, it's an open. That's an open question, but that's not oh, yeah. a knock on yeah. Armageddon. It's a, it's it is just a testament to how incredible Bruckheimer's filmography is. Yeah, it's pretty stellar. I battled, I battled that, and my, I almost put Armageddon. Um, my number four is in here. Oh, by the way, I want to say one more thing. I okay. don't like Wedding Crashers. Didn't like it at the time. Don't okay. like it today. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's funny. I would actually, you know, I. I some a movie slipped my mind that I actually think I would probably put in number five over Wedding Crashers, which would uh, I think Marley and Me is actually a really sweet movie, and I think he's quite good in it. Um, and I, I I agree with you, Kenny, that my problems with Wedding Crashers now it doesn't hold up particularly well in terms of some of the you know the uh, energy and what have you in it. So, but anyway, my number four is Inherent Vice, which is a movie that felt like it never really connected with people at the time, and Owen Wilson is fantastic in it and yeah i that's that's my number four i have to see that again because i've only i saw it once in the theater yeah and it didn't connect uh, to me and i feel like it's having a moment of conversation again right now i see it popping up and people being like that's a good movie actually and, and by the way adam i feel the exact same way you did and i actually thought about putting it at five but i had to be true to myself that it really is not something that I can converse about anymore. I rewatched I, it over the past couple of weeks or a couple of weeks ago. I rewatched it, and I think you guys would like it a lot more on a rewatch. I enjoyed it the first time, but it's it's a tough. 
it's it's a movie that's fucking with you the whole time and it's it's daring you to engage in it really you know what i mean it's daring you to be like can you keep with this byzantine plot and the answer is you're not really supposed to uh, so that's what it is but uh, what's your number four adam behind enemy lines and this sure. is again going to the variety of Wilson. and I, I you're watching that maze of his career right like similar to how we were talking about you know what what would minus man take him into that oscar territory you're like could we put him in the action territory like could yeah, yeah, yeah. a world where he had his jason Bourne, you know and like right for his career or something and i actually think he's quite good in this role doing this thing and i actually think it would be good to see more of him in that um, or would have been. I don't yeah. know now he can do it anymore. Now he's in Loki. That's what he's doing yeah. next. Which, so. by the way, I would put the Loki trailer in my top five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't What's know if that's allowed, but I would throw it there. <laughs> uh, Kenny, what's your number four? My number four is Marley and Me. I love okay. Marley and Me. Nice. Yeah, super sad. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's really sad. Uh, my number three is, uh, I mean, it's Midnight in Paris, guys. And, uh, I'm there too. Um you know, I know Kenny. I know, but whoa! It's... Oh man! This I didn't week know, of I... all weeks. Oh my goodness, guys! For those, for those who aren't paying for a Patreon, Kenny has 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 shrunk himself into his hoodie. Um, to it wasn't even good at the time. Um, I, I, I am in the same space, Phil. I, I, yeah. I and I, I didn't. I didn't know we're allowed to use this movie for obvious reasons, but like, yep. it, it, it's. I, I love Paris. It's a beautiful city. You could watch this movie on mute and appreciate the, appreciate it. And like, there's something interesting about Owen Wilson doing the thing that was of the guy that we were not going to probably mention. Yeah, Voldemort. Yeah, I mean, he's doing the, yeah, he's, he is playing. There are people that have been slotted in over the years yeah. to do the role that would be played by said individual. Um, and I do think that Owen does it pretty well. I think it's a great cast. To your point, I'm also a sucker for for magic realism and just the idea of being able to travel in time to spend time with all of these historical authors and what have you. It's just, it's it's a nice kind of like whimsical movie that I think Owen weirdly slots really well into like it shouldn't work but i think that it does but all that being said what's your number you're in that you have the same as Keddy. what's your number three i don't fucking midnight in paris <laughs> uh that means you guys don't have one of my top three movies which i thought were obvious um okay <laughs> number three is zoolander which i thought was obvious that's um, my number two zoolander it's he's he, he's like the best in he's, Zoolander. He's the best part of Zoolander. It's the Hansel's best. Hansel's very hot right now. Hansel's very hot right now. He's it's 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 as good as it's as good as comedy acting acting gets. The commitment to the bit and oh, uh, uh, I I, I went I went more on um, my favorite movies that had have Owen Wilson in them uh, where he was prominent in them versus my favorite Owen Wilson performances. That being said, this is my favorite Owen Wilson performance. Yeah. Um, if it weren't for Owen Wilson in this movie, I don't think I'd like it nearly as much. Um, I'm less totally taken agree. With, I'm less taken with Derek Zoolander than I am with Hansel, Hansel but there it's so a, good. There is a magical quality of his performance in Zoolander, which, by the way, I was a set PA on in New York. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I agree with you. There is a magical quality about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and you can, it's weird because he very clearly is good looking enough to be a model in real life. 
And yet he's playing this role in a way in which the joke is that he's not quite good looking enough to be a model. And somehow that works. Right, like, like, I don't know how that works. I, I want to amend it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. okay. I re, all right. So, I, I didn't love Zoolander when I first watched it, and subsequently I've seen it so many times, and I really have grown to just love it. I think it's amazing. I remember seeing an interview with Ben Stiller when that movie came out, with him saying, spelling out, the joke of the movie is two guys like me and Owen. Who got two guys who look like me and Owen being models. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, well, first of all, like, give me a break, Stiller. Right. Like, yeah. look at your body, right? <laughs> you Like, I know you are a Jew, but you have an Adonis body on you right now in this movie. And the Owen Wilson thing is like, like, which of these two guys are like less attractive? To me, it's Owen Wilson. Like, that nose is insane. Owen Wilson is handsome enough to be a model because he is such a good actor that yes. he sells it. He yes. sell, and he has to. Like, he has to. Like, Derek Zoolander can play it, like, as big as he wants and could be a send-up of the modeling engineer, send-up of fucking Blue Steel and Magnum, whatever it is. Like, that's the game. But the, to me, this movie is the prestige. Where on yeah. one side you have a magician <laughs> and on the other side you have a guy who has figured out magic. And yep. that's like, that's the thing. Like Hansel comes in, it's like, oh my God, you figured out magic. Yeah. Oh my God. So I do, I, I, I adore this movie and adore his magic performance. I adore it as well. I mean, it's my number two. It's, it's Adam's number one. Um, what is, what's your number two, Adam? Uh, Bottle Rocket. Interesting. I don't have I had, Bottle Rocket I on. I had a hard time. I did have a hard time picking uh, a, my Wes Anderson. I, I purposely was like, I'm not going to put two Wes Anderson movies on the list, even though me too. And I guess Phil too. Wes Anderson yeah. movies. And but like, so Bottle Rocket I went with, but it just as easily could have been Steve Zissou. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of went out of my way to not put two West movies on here as well. I mean, Royal Tenenbaums is my number one. I, I mean, I, I think that he's I think he's wonderful in it. All I ever wanted to be was a, a Tenenbaum. Um, he 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 also just, I mean, one of the best Owen Wilson lines ever, which is everyone knows that <laughs> everyone knows that uh, Custer died at Little Big Rock. But what if, what if this book presupposes is what if he didn't? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's, it's really uh, it's just great. Um, he's he's in a he's just in another level on the, in World Ten. So I, 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 I have my two and one. But can we put that quote on the box for Kenny's better minus man? Yes. Yes. <laughs> what did this person put? <laughs> so I have my two and my one. So uh, my one is also Royal Tenenbaums. Okay. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. My yeah. two is Meet the Parents, which like I assume you guys didn't pick because he doesn't have a big enough role, but like yeah. he also makes that movie. Yeah. Like he's he does so make that movie. He does. fucking funny in that. It adds a different element to it. So I love him in that, but uh, Royal Tenenbaums is so cool because there are probably seven or eight actors in that movie. If you were to give me uh, top the top five Danny Glovers, a top ten Gene Hackman's, a top five Gwyneth Paltrow's, they would all they and would be Stiller, in, yeah. and Stiller. Oh, I'm telling you, go down the yeah. list of this cast. Yeah. Because this, I love this movie so deeply because it doesn't. It really does feel like an ensemble in a way that every one of them, uh, it, every one of them feels like it, it is their film. 
Like, yeah. I don't feel bad putting Owen Wilson, who was probably six or seven build in this movie, wasn't even a Denabaum, uh, <laughs> uh, number one on the Owen Wilson films. And I don't think yeah. he'd be upset about it either. Yeah. He has so, two shots in the trailer. I went and watched the trailer. I was like, could I pick Royal Tannenbaums? Could I pick this? And I was like, let me go watch the trailer again. And he's, he has two shots in the trailer. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if I can pick it as an Owen Wilson movie. But like literally, it, look, it was on my list. I, cro- I crossed it out, replaced it with Bottle Rocket. I crossed that out, replaced it with <laughs> Life Aquatic. I crossed yeah. it out again with, with Bottle Rocket. It was I, it's a toss up there. I do want to say just something. You know, I, I know we went into this because I texted Kenny. I was like, we should do a top five Owen Wilson, right? And he was like, I never really thought of him as a top five guy, but he kind of <laughs> is. So maybe we should, right? And and I think we all feel the same way. But this conversation has led me to believe that Owen Wilson's one of our greatest actors. <laughs> like oh. he's really fucking bringing something even when his movies aren't good i think that owen wilson has a has a something that's entirely his own he's been mishandled i that's how that's what i think at the end of the day that he's been mishandled i one thing i I kind of felt when i was doing this exercise is uh, i would have had an easier time with the top five luke wilson um which seems weird but i think i would have (laughs) that's fair Tenenbaum's number one, of course, but I think I oh he's so good in that. He's so good in that. I love him so much. That movie is just old, perfect. Old it's, school would go on that list, right? Yeah, old school right. idiocracy. I mean, you like, know, it would be on there too. Kenny is Blue Streak, your favorite. Blue Streak. He was so good and made that movie. <laughs> no, that is that is it. Did I give that like best supporting actor yes. or something with that year? Yeah, it was the right call. <laughs> Oh, that's Great. a good one. Let, um, let me do my. Let me let me, let me, let me do, my, let me do my Luke Wilson. My Luke. All right. So, what are we doing next week? While I get some Luke in here. Um. Well, next week we're doing. Uh. Well, I'm going to do one of the episodes that I did by myself. I did a music episode with a friend of mine. I brought on my friend Scott Casuccia. We talked about Nine Inch Nails' album "The Fragile," which came out in 1999. Uh. It has the inauspicious uh, or dubious achievement of being the album that had the largest drop on the billboard charts in the history of albums uh, from, from uh, first to like, I don't know, like 30th or something like that within a matter of a week. Uh, it's now regarded as, as um, an underrated masterpiece, which I think that it is. But uh, so, yeah, so I spoke with Scott who's a really big nine inch nails fan about that. So that's what we're doing next week. Um, but more than anything, Adam, thank you so much for coming on here to talk about the minus man with us. Um, there's no one else we could have done this with. <laughs> I th- I think real fast. I mean, I I think he he is Luke Wilson's a real Wes Anderson quandary. Sure. Because if you're only going to pick one, yeah, do you pick Tenenbaums or do you pick Rushmore? Because he's so central to both of those films. I mean, he has one of the best moments in Rushmore. Oh, are oh, they? are they? <laughs> and then uh, and then the other movie that would be on the five is Legally Blonde. So. Sure, he does, sure. to me, have more good movies than this brother. He, he might have. I'll say this. I think that Luke Wilson never became or has not become a leading man to the same degree that his brother did. So his brother had more of a minefield to navigate in terms of the career that was either he was attempting or was being sculpted for him, which gave Luke Wilson the freedom to be able to do a bunch of different things that are all more perhaps interesting than 
an I Spy I, reboot. With I anyone. like Luke's career. I think he has yeah. a nice career. Yeah. I liked I loved him in Enlightened too. Like I think his, yeah. his shit's great. Oh, he's great yeah. in Enlightened. He's fantastic. He's good in Charlie's Angels too, as well. Though. He is good in Charlie's mm-hmm. Angels as he well. Is. Yeah, like, he plays he's good. He's good. A, he plays good. He's just he's yeah yeah he he's like a, he's got that uh, Kyle Chandler quality. Just like good. Just like coming out of his veins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's exactly. he's one of the best things in uh, roadies. In, in old school, that doesn't old exist. school only works because he's there, right? Because you so feel for him, right? Both of these guys have that quality. Where both Owen and Luke, like you, you love them just by them being them. And in some sense, that for this movie, for Minus Man, it works against the movie. Great names too. That my 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 youngest son was going to be Owen or Luke. I'd never even put it together. Hmm. <laughs> he's Luke. Luke won, just like in real life. Oh, well, Adam, again, thank you so much for being here. We really do appreciate it. We hope that you'll uh, come back in the future for something else. Yes. Is there a movie less known than this one? Let's do it. Oh, we we got a bunch of them. Is there? I I don't know. I think so. (laughs) You wanted to to do just just the ticket with Andy Garcia? I I didn't know that. that (laughs) $12 million. $12 million budget. It made like $400,000. Insane. I'm into Um, it. Well, thank you again, Adam. We really appreciate it. One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Yon Katas for our artwork and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.